I just want to throw this out there. I think that Joshua Schachter is the most interesting man in transportation that we most people have not heard of. I think that he has one of the most interesting Twitter feeds because I always like learn something new that you're up to and then it makes me feel dumb. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek with TechCrunch. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. <laughs> I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. I'm Alex Roy with the No Parking Podcast and the Human Driving Association. And who is here with us today, Alex? The most interesting man in transportation and not just transportation, Joshua Schachter. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Joshua. Hi, thanks for having me. So for anyone who doesn't know the story of Joshua Schachter, our guest today. Hi, Joshua. Hello. You like to talk to we talk about you in the third person, like you aren't here. <laughs> Joshua Schachter changed my life because I, what year was it? It was like three years ago. Somebody, Riley Brennan said, have you seen this thing? Sends me a link. And it's a link to a thing called selfracingcars.com. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know anything about this. I've got to talk to this guy. I have to go to this event. And I cold emailed you, Joshua. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> like, how can I help? You're like, just show up. So I go. And I fly to San Francisco. I, bar I, I borrow a Tesla that belonged to Andre Haddad, the CEO of, of Turo.com. I get his black Model X. I drive it to Thunder Hill. And my entire life changed because there were probably only two journalists present. And George Hotz was there. There must have been a, a dozen other startups there. And there was like no media covering this thing. And it was the most fat. I, I learned more in that day three years ago than I maybe learned. No, in it was 2016. And that also was the day that I met Kirsten Korosek. And when Ed Niedermeyer and, Ed Niedermeyer and I were talking about who would be the, the, the best you know, person to invite to join the Atonicast, I thought of how consequential and important selfracingcars.com was to my career and how much I learned there and the fact that Kirsten was there. And that's how Kirsten ended up on the show. How's that intro, Joshua? Is that pretty good? That was pretty good. <laughs> Um, it was mostly about me. So selfracingcars.com <laughs> is one of those events that where the percent, like the center of intellectual gravity at the location on the day of the event, it, it, it's it, it, the critical mass of like is so huge that it, it's shocking to me that it's not like doesn't get more media coverage. It is it is really a great, great event. How did it? How did it start? Where did that idea come from? And and sort of how did how did that come together? So it was five years ago, actually. That uh, that was the first one. This will be the fifth uh, self racing cars. So that was two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I had um, I had been I've been doing track stuff uh for for almost ten years now, um, you know, started out doing track days, then got my racing license, um. And uh, I had reached out to one of the tracks and said, what's involved in, in renting the track? And it turned out to be not incredibly complicated. And so I, I started organizing track days and then, you know, sort of a social track day. And, and uh, uh, I had done that for a couple of years before I started self-racing cars. And um, one of the events got a little scary. Someone misbehaved a bit. And, and I realized that it had sort of gotten out of hand. Um, nobody was injured. 
or anything. It just it was sort of I got freaked out and I sort of terminated that. Uh, and then the following year, that would have been 2014 and 2015, I started self-racing cars, which was a little bit more of a serious version um, that entertains both my love of driving, but also my love of robots and building things, um, since I am more of a software engineer than anything else. So explain to those who don't know anything about self-racing cars what the event is, what happens there. So it's it takes two things as its inspiration. Um, Early racing, like 1940s and 50s, where if you wanted to race something, first you had to build something, right? There was no spec cars or formula cars um, available. It's also, in, in an engineering sense, you know, you have to, you know, if you want to drive it, you have to build it. Um, and organizationally, right now, it's more of a track day, right? So, so you know, a modern, uh, a, a gentleman racer, someone who's not, you know, at age five starts racing, but you know someone who later in life starts starts racing, they would do track days and then they'd get their racing license and then they do amateur racing, right? So this is this is the track day part of that evolution, right? So the day is organized like a track day. There are a series of sessions, twenty five or so minutes, and we have two major groups of vehicles that come out. One is actual autonomous vehicles which we put on the track alone and let them try and get around the track and set a lap time, um, which, which some of them even do. Uh, and then occasionally we'll put out a bunch of humans on track. Um, often the cars are wearing um, various LIDAR, RTK GPS, radar systems. So, and, and in the, the spirit of open source, which is, I guess, another big model um, for me, again, as a software engineer, is that, that we ask uh, that, that these companies put the data sets acquired at the track public. So what happens is that we have uh, several different views of this one, this one racetrack in LIDAR, in different LIDAR, in thermal vision from an airplane, in, in radar, and so on and so forth, uh, in uh, data.selfracingcars.com. Uh, so that, that people who are who want to participate but don't have, you know, the couple hundred grand to build the vehicle can at least see what it looks like and build code against it. Do you know how the data has been used since? I mean, uh, I know that the the event has evolved a bit. Um, the years I've gone, I think the second year, some Udacity students were there, for example, and and I'm sure it's uh, while the 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 foundation is the same, there's probably little changes from year to year. I haven't been every year, um, but what happens with that data? Are people, um, other startups using it or hobbyists using it? Um, well, the obvious thing that people use it for is to train something before they get to the track. Uh, and that's happened multiple times. Um, the other thing is that people have built simulators of the track. Um, in fact, uh, one of them was someone did a, in Unity an open source one, which was, which is pretty interesting um, that that's even doable. Um, they used... Uh, uh, a combination of the the GPS trails to get height at different places, um, and I had I had paid to have the the track flown over, um, which was actually surprisingly it's like it's like eight hundred dollars a square mile or something. It's not that not that expensive. Um, so I'd had uh, uh, geo rectified images um, equivalent to like decent like you know spy satellite level 
imagery of the track. And and who participated? Like um, maybe just some of the the is it companies? Is it individuals? Um, and sort of how did you you connect with them and sort of build? Because I mean, starting a new event like this is always it's hard to go from zero to one, right? So so who are these folks? How did you know them? How did you get them uh, you know interested and in, and engaged with this? There was the original sort of idea that a bunch of people were really into. Uh, and then from there, um, media outreach, um, people see it in uh, articles and that kind of stuff, which has been kind of important. I don't have that much reach on Twitter for automotive or, or mobility. So uh, that's been super handy. Um, the people that participate, they're, they're the mid-sized startups, little to mid-sized startups and individuals. There is... Um, there have been two, three individuals who hacked up their car um, using something like uh, the way that uh, comma AI controls the vehicle, you, you know, CAN bus messaging, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, small startups like comma AI themselves. Um, the last one, the last year's fastest uh, car was from a company called Point One that uh, uh, they don't make autonomy. They make uh, a localization product that actually um, tells an autonomous system uh, where it is exactly, you know, down to an inch or two. Uh, and then using that, they hack together um, software to get around the track. The, uh, point one actually has won a couple of times, right? That's uh, uh, Nathan? Yes. Company? Aaron Nathan. Um, they've, Nathan. They've come yeah. in... They've come in at 206. So I think um, uh, the last two years, it's been right around 206. Um, there is a lot of, two, you know, two minutes, six seconds. Um, so do you actually rank the vehicles at the end of each day uh, by time? Or is there an actual organized competition or it's rung what you brung and let's do the learnings? It's way too early to have, have rules around this stuff. Um, you know, when there's two or three of each car in a class, right? Like I can imagine that there would be an opportunity. I mean, I have lots of ideas about where this might go, but, um, you know, so right now, like vehicles without cameras, right? Or, or you know, LIDAR only navigation or camera only navigate. Like so far, no one's got ar gotten around the track camera only, right? They have to have GPS and so on and so forth, right? But if you took a any decent racer, you wouldn't even need a pro. They could they could probably clobber that lap time, you know, within a little while, right? Have any of the camera like centric folks like Ghost or Wave or any of those folks ever shown up? No. So and so, and and I wonder. I have to wonder if any of them are actually camera only. For example, I, I think someone is camera only, but not not Ghost or Wave. They're using radar too. Yeah, but uh, but they're not using GPS or IMU or anything. Uh, I would be surprised. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, at least the years I've gone, everyone was using some sort of GPS or something. I'm just talking about in even in the real world, no one is, oh. is camera only. There is there is the interesting um, ongoing fight of whether or not you need lidar to do these things, right? Um, out in the real world. Um, of course, you know, a racetrack isn't the real world and we can do all sorts of absurd stuff um, that that is not feasible, uh, you know, due to regulatory or whatever we can do. I mean, we actually do have rules on the track, just they're they're much more different than you might expect. 
the thing about SRC, if I find really interesting, is that there is such a high concentration. Like all these conferences are trying to attract startups and investors and like build a critical mass uh, of interesting people. And yet it, it, that critical mass pops up in unexpected places. And SRC is one of those places. So do you actively go out and like recruit these folks based on people you know? I mean, how are you getting teams to show up? Well, one, I have a, uh, because of the, the, the day job, I have a pretty good sort of venture uh, network. So I, I ask lots of investors to, you know, invite their relevant companies. Um, I do some stuff like I'm helping Gomentum put together an event. Um, so they have different connections. Could you explain what Gomentum is for people who don't know? Gomentum is a autonomous testing facility in the East Bay. Um, in Concord, I guess it's at a, an abandoned naval base. H- have you been? Is it on the west side of the bay or the east side of the bay? Well, there's there's no west side of the bay, but well, of course, um, there's, there, there's there is it's, there's in, the it's in the east bay. It's I believe it is above Oakland. So, so I'm question. I have a question that's kind of related to some of this, which is right, like the the things like uh, autonomous vehicle development is so heavily focused on safety and obviously safety is a part of racing, but what racing optimizes for is, is speed is about getting around the track the fastest. So, um, I'm just curious, sort of what, what is the relationship between showing up and doing work on a track like this, where you're actually racing? Uh, uh, what is the relation to sort of the more core AV development that's going on? Uh, so what are the things that people are learning by, by teaching a, a vehicle to go around a track fast that can be applied then to, to sort of the core of, of AV, developing a safe AV system? The, the core relationship is that, that racing is actually not just about going fast, but it's about engineering. Right. There are, as of yet, an enormous number of unresolved questions in in how autonomous vehicles have to operate. Right. Um, if there's an obstruction and you're moving, what do you do? Right. You have to, to switch to the full friction regime to a sliding regime. Um, that is what racing is about. Right. What what happens when the car is sliding and can you still control it? Um, where does the lidar go? Where does the cameras go? What is the shape of the vehicle? That's aerodynamics. That's that's uh, you know optics. That's all sorts of things. So you know if you look at the, the history of racing over time, you see these phase changes: um, l- lighter vehicles beating heavier vehicles, and then mid-engine beating front-engine, and then so on and so forth. Right? You see these changes that that occur time and time again. Um, I think we're going to see that in an accelerated fashion with autonomy as well, right? None of these problems are solved, right? What hardware do we need? Do we need LIDAR? Can you do camera only? That's another one, right? So this is this provides a sort of um, two things, right? It's a playground where the rules are much reduced, right? You know, it has to have wheels and, you know, if nobody's in it, maybe that's it, right? And again, we're not really racing, right? They're they're they are setting individual lap times, right? So it's more time trials. I'd love to have wheel to wheel racing, but we're not there yet. You know, as the as the organizer of the event, I have a sort of the ability to set the rules ultimately, right? So I can penalize people for going off or not, or for cars touching each other or not, or you know, it depends on it depends on the the outcome that that we want to 
engineer, right? So, you know, it's very difficult to think about this, but but you know, people getting around the rules in clever ways is also called innovation, right? Sometimes the rules are just things that you previously believed to be true, right? And then sometimes that changes, and then sometimes people realize that, and that mushrooms out into a phase change across the entire industry, right? It's happened before, it will happen again. And I'm just trying to get an advanced glimpse of what might happen, right? Partially because I love it and partially because I'm a tech investor who wants to invest in in what the future is going to look like. The event is interesting because you talk about, you were talking about, uh, you use the analogy of like a playground and that's kind of what it feels like at the event. Because I think that if you haven't been there, you think of it as all these different startups competing. And really, it's not just that. It's hobbyists. I mean, Carl Bass had his um, go-kart that they strapped a stuffed animal gorilla in there, I believe. And the folks who were working on that were people who were just interested in trying to use, I believe their approach was to do like a a deep neural network and end type of system and see if that would work. And these are folks who are working at Google and things like that. They weren't part of a startup. They were just really interested in, in trying to participate and wanting to participate in that. And have you, do you have to work hard to keep that sort of hobbyist element into it? Do you want to keep that in there? Um, Do you see it evolving eventually to being all just, you know, startups that we've heard of? Um, I'm most interested in the hobbyists because they have the most interesting relationship to risk and therefore the most interesting relationship to innovation, right? They are very comfortable doing something weird that may or may not work. You know, hey, here's a crazy thing. Let's see if it works. Whereas the bigger the company, the more adverse they are to public perception of risk, especially given their, um, their role in the outside world, right? So, so you know, I think it's very unlikely that we're going to see a Waymo um, at one of these events because it goes off into the the dirt and someone takes a bunch of pictures and they look bad, right? For no good reason. Um, so, I think I think ultimately it's going to be um, more about subsystems and um, people who are more oriented to actual competition. Um, than actual people making autonomous vehicles, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, I don't, you know, I don't think I'll see anyone there um, competing. From the the bigger the company, the less likely they they'll engage. Maybe much later in the future, when you know, if there was a vehicle that didn't look anything like a street vehicle, and you could go, well, obviously that's a race car, right? So if there was a a Waymo Formula car you know, that crashed at 200 miles an hour, maybe people wouldn't associate that with, um, with their streetcars, but, but maybe even then, you know, there, there's a lot of brand risk. This is, this is one of the things that's most frustrating about, um, larger companies that I, and I've worked at, you know, several that you, you, the brand risk of any action is like the most important thing. Um, well, but the, the, I guess the positive that comes out of that is that, you end up at this event with a lot of hobbyists and small startups. Um, I was able to kind of track some new trends by going to it because half the people I talked to um, had participated in DARPA, 
during their, you know, um, the DARPA uh, Urban Challenge, maybe during their, um, you know, they're getting their college degree, right? Um, and our postdoc. But then they had gone either back into academia or taken other jobs. And it was around 2016 or so when suddenly um, all these folks who had shown up to self-raising cars were actually getting back into this pursuit of autonomous vehicles. And Anthony, or I'm sorry, Aaron Nathan is, is one of those people who I interviewed, I remember at the time. Um, and to me, that was an important moment because these were people who had never stopped being interested in it. They had just gone off and done other things. They had gone off and done other startups or I guess at academia or whatever they were doing. And then they saw this new opportunity and also some innovation that had happened that allowed them to kind of jump back into pursuing autonomy, autonomous vehicles. It seemed like that kind of change around 2016 or so when you saw all these folks who had participated early on kind of getting back into it and starting their own businesses. And, and it seems like that, that uh, the event kind of has that kind of culture and, and vibe and environment that um, a, a reporter like myself can spot trends early on, but also you can see sort of this, this interesting interplay between people who are just like working at Google and interested in it and then who might ultimately like go and start a, a company. I definitely think that there are people who are involved with this kind of stuff, partially for the opportunity to be seen by the larger companies as a as a path to a job or a role. Um, I think DARPA is the DARPA challenge, rather, is is a very big inspiration for what I'm trying to do. However, um, the second inspiration is also my SCCA racing history, right? Where I race literally the cheapest car that you can race, right? Um, but, you know, whereas, you know, the 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 high-end Formula 1000s or whatever, there's three of those, you know, Formula Pro Mazdas, there's 45 spec Miata competitors, right? So a, a $13,000 car versus an $80,000 race car. The The barrier to entry matters, right? So it's something that they can do, um, one of the things is I will entertain literally any request like, hey, we have a wheelchair that will go around the track. Like, can we try it? Yes, bring it. Right. I will figure out how to get you on the track. Um, the, the the track doesn't really like people setting foot on the track when the track is hot. Um, that's the one rule that we've bumped into again and again. Um, anyway, you know, I will entertain pretty much anything on the track um, except for flying things as a way to get, you know, pretty much anyone who can be involved, involved, right? And also not to cut off any interesting avenues of competition. I'd really love to see a a balancing robot, something with, you know, two beefy motors and using like a hoverboard style balancing, um, I think would be really cool and probably could do a decent job of getting around the track. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. 
The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Now, you mentioned earlier your, your day job and your investing. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, my quick background, um, I did electrical engineering in school, went on to Wall Street for about 10 years as a quant. Uh, uh, after that, I, I founded a company called Delicious, um, which is actually the origin of tagging. You've, you've heard of hashtags, sort of grew out of that. Um, sold that company to Yahoo uh, 15 years ago now. Wow. Um, and uh, uh, after I sold that, uh, one of the things I started doing was investing in startups. Um, so I've been an angel investor um, early stage for about 15 years now. Uh, I've invested in about uh, 200 plus companies uh, over that time. Stuff you've heard of: um, uh, Kickstarter, uh, Etsy, uh, a bunch of stuff. And um, I tend to invest along the lines of stuff I'm personally interested in. So I've done, you know, roughly 10 or so fabrication technology companies like 3D printing and carbon fiber because I really like making stuff. Uh, one of those things that I've been investing in, and similarly, is autonomous companies. Although uh, I used to do it at a sort of higher pace, I've done about ten uh, startup investments in that in this space. Um, Comma AI, for example, that we've mentioned several times, um, was one of the companies I invested in. Can you mention some of the other company uh, autonomy companies that you've invested? Um, some of them are still early stage um, that that no one's heard of. Um, the one, for example, I've been talking to lately is uh, is called Marada. They do um, they do optics for lidar that's much tougher. Um, lidar units don't have a long lifetime in the field. Um, they, they improve that. Um, so sometimes it's full autonomy, like comma. Sometimes it's parts, GPS systems, that kind of thing. So. You mentioned you're doing a little less investing in, in AV companies right now, and, and this seems to be part of a, a broader trend we're seeing where it's just become a tougher environment for companies to raise money, um, and there's just a little less enthusiasm uh, in the VC community. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that really happening, and, and sort of why, why do you think if, if it is? Why, why is that happening? It's definitely happening. Part of it uh, is is that this, there's a relatively slow engagement from the industry at large. Um, one of the things that I try to do when I think about investing in a given sector is what is the nature of competition there? And how do the incumbents or related companies behave um, with regard to to upstarts, right? Do they work with them? Do they ignore them? Do they, you know, if you make a new, better network switch, the protocols for using it are standardized, right? Uh, other networking companies can't just decide to block you out, right? Um, whereas in telephony, they they can do that in some ways and can't do that in other ways. And in music, they can they can totally do that, right? You know, like if someone, if a friend of mine was doing a music startup, uh, you know, music online music distribution startup, I'd stage an intervention, right? It's it's not going to happen. So. 
automotive companies are interested, but they're so internally calcified um, that it's just glacial. So if you are doing a startup that involves selling something to a top tier automotive company, it may take literally more time than you have funding for, right? So, so one of the problems with venture is that the horizon for funding is so short, 18 months to two years at the outside, and then you do your next round. But the problem is that you, you know, if you spent a year trying to get into, you know, one of the big automotive companies and then another, another year of waiting for um, them to actually sign the LOI, you know, that's, that's your two years gone, right? So, so you go back to your investors and be like, well, you know, we need another two years of money. And they're like, well, you haven't made any progress. You haven't gotten any customers. Um, I mean, I think, unfortunately, the vast majority of, uh, of investors do not understand these things at a deeply technological level. And this is one of the advantages that I have, you know, at least for, for high tech stuff. Um, I can often talk my way into deals just by understanding more than other investors. I was going to ask you about that because it seems to me, you know, as a as a reporter who doesn't have an engineering degree, you know, it I probably face a lot of the same problems that uh, many early um, you know, early stage or angel investors have, which is how to properly vet um the tech. And so, you know, I rely on a lot of tools and sources in order to achieve that and um and, and, and there's lots of examples of companies that have raised money with kind of vaporware and and um and and you kind of wonder well how could that have happened? Well, not everyone has a background to properly to vet that. So, I mean, I'm I see it as certainly an advantage, but maybe you could quantify like how much of an advantage does it really give you? Because ultimately, there are other factors that go into success of a company, right? Like their business plan and things like that. Um, when it comes to autonomy, I mean, is it really come down to, in your view, the best tech, or is it market timing and business plan as well? First of all, autonomy doesn't exist right now. Um, uh, sure. If you the pursuit of autonomy, let's just say, yeah, yeah, I'm just well, I'm saying no one, you know, so so saying what it takes to succeed at that, you know, is at, at is is a guess at best, you know, um, because no one's done it yet. So so we're, uh, you know, to qualify, we're talking hypotheticals here already, right? And 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 to your point, you know, like I will I will go with me to start up and and ask questions, and they're like, you know, no investor has ever asked anything about, you know, like how does it actually work or whatever. And I again, I often get into deals just because I understand it. After I'm in. They never ask me another technical question again because you know they are working in the space and I only, you know, you know, I know understand it a little, right? But inevitably, it's it's you know, how do we raise our next round? Or I I hate my board member. How do I deal with this or whatever? It's all soft skills, which I have you know learned as well. Um, so it's an entirely different set of skills after the the check is sent. Oh, well, I just, I just really am fascinated too because you know, obviously, the technical part of that is is really hard, and especially for investors who invest in a lot of different things, you know, it's hard to have that that foundation in, in technical stuff. But you mentioned something earlier, uh, specific to this autonomy stuff, that that seems to be a recurring thing that a lot of people seem to have been surprised by, which is that it's really, really hard 
And it just takes time to incorporate into the automotive supply chain, essentially, into the value chain to get things into those systems, to get approved by a purchasing department and build that relationship and all those sorts of things. How did you learn that? Because that doesn't seem, that seems like a, a really important aspect of this, but not necessarily one that you would learn as a software developer. Like how do you learn that that challenge specific to automotive? There's only one way to learn, which is the hard way, right? Um, I, I, at one point, uh, I, so I invested in, I, I do some aerospace investing, um, satellite launch vehicles, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, at one point, I invested in uh, a satellite communications company, which is doing very well. Um, but and a friend of mine said, well, you know, right after I wrote the check, like he said, why in the world would you invest in satellite communications? And I said, well, mostly to learn how I'm going to lose money in satellite communications, right? Um, I don't believe you can really learn at a deep level where the mines are, except by stepping on them, right? Um, so if you are overcautious, the more cautious you are, the less investments you make. And the reality is that in, in venture investing, you know, at worst you lose your money, but if it's a success, you can learn, you can earn, you know, 10x, 100x, right? So your successes fund your education. What do you think is happening right now um, in the world specifically of investing in in autonomous vehicle technology? And, and when I say that, it's sort of broad strokes, so related, you know, and maybe not just a a pure play company. Uh, are what is are are people being more cautious? Have they been stung by you know some failures, or are they off on the next new hot thing? I would say something like. 75, 80% of all the startups that I see are trying to snow investors in some way, right? Something is misrepresented. Um, sometimes it's just, we plan to build this. Sometimes they're honest about it. Sometimes they're not. I've been pitched startups that are literally just a TensorFlow demo. You know, they got it working out of the box. You know, one advantage that I have as an investor is that I have a Linux box and I can run through the tutorials for these architectures, you know, relatively easily. And I think most investors, you know, don't build stuff, right? So why why the success is not happening yet is that we're not there yet on on the the machine architecture, um, the calcification of of the industry. I do think what's going to happen. I think the way it's going to play out is that in places that are less regulated, um, so for example, maybe China, um, that's where we'll see the first autonomy appear. And then when people start getting, you know, for example, everyone you know, does a whole bunch of hand-wringing about safety and autonomy, right? Um, and what's going to happen is someone who is more willing to take risk will deploy to great success, and then we will be playing catch-up. Um, I, I actually don't believe that the the, the safety uh, thing is actually a fair thing, because if we really believed in safety, we'd mandate driver-facing cameras everywhere, which we don't. Right. Nobody, nobody is really shipping those. Um, there's a lot we could do for safety in, in mobility right now. So one of the things that I've been sort of fantasizing about, and usually this happens as right at my house, there is a uh, uh, the, the first stoplight near my house, sorry, traffic uh, intersection um, is a uh, is a dumb. It, it's, it's dumb, right? It doesn't have sensors in the road. It doesn't know if anyone's there. And when I end up sitting there with. Um, with uh 
cars that are just waiting to cross the light and no cross cars. So we're just, you know, there's 15 cars sitting there for no reason at all. I, I sort of wonder about the idea of rather than an autonomous vehicle, but an autonomous traffic light, right? You put a LIDAR on there or something, um, you know, you can make it default to being a normal traffic light, right? The, 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 the moving things are still all controlled by person, you know, by people. Um, you know, you could build something that's a great deal better. And the interesting thing about that is that the cost of the LIDAR is amortized across um, everybody who's driving underneath rather than someone who paid for uh, the thing itself, right? So that's that's the same thing, right? A, an autonomous vehicle is something that goes from um, perception to model to control, right? That's a, that's a robot, right? There are plenty of places that, that you could do that that are are lower risk than on a moving three or 4,000 pound vehicle. Um, Stoplights and traffic come directly to mind. You know, I, I met with a startup that was doing a forklift refit that was saying that, um, and I'm not sure if this is true. I'm, I'm not sure I believe this, but um, one problem with large factories is that forklift drivers will goof off and just drive around for a bit instead of doing things. And they don't know where the forklifts are inside the factory at all times, right? Um, imagine LIDAR on a forklift that that is smart enough to just stop the thing, right? Or raise an alert, right? There are there are dozens and dozens of uses for these things um, in industry, in manufacturing, in the large, um, where you go from some you know physical thing to a uh, an electronic representation that can do stuff that is incredibly powerful uh, that doesn't rely on you know. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, let's let's build robots and let's choose the the highest possible, most difficult thing to turn into robots. There are lots of easier things out there that we we could have done first. It's just that that, you know, it's 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 a uh, availability heuristic, right? People tend to think about the thing that's most at hand, um, you know, and and people who don't work in factories don't know about forklifts, or sorry, warehouses don't know about forklifts. Um, so therefore, if you're a Silicon Valley engineer and you want to build an autonomous thing, you don't think about that. So there is huge opportunity out there um, that will surely yield fruit at some point. Do you think that there is more opportunity than on the industrial applications of autonomy as opposed to kind of, you know, the the, the far more seemingly far more difficult uh, robo taxi application then? Uh, yes, I I think that. I think that what happened is that that sort of the the marching wave of technological innovation innovation built a couple things, you know, computers and networks and 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 video games and so on and then just ran off into the future and left a bunch of things like tractors untouched, right? And then um so what happens is that that only a small number of organizations do anything in that space like John Deere um does highly technological tractors but um but but there's not a lot of other competitors in that space right i think that that wave of innovation is going to to, to loop around and hit a bunch of things farming uh industry manufacturing warehousing um shipping right logistics is that march right the 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 increasingly advanced logistics you know so what if there's a lidar not on the truck, but in the truck, and it figures out what size the boxes are and where they need to be loaded inside the truck, and are they loaded properly, right? 
all sorts of stuff like that. I, I mean, that's might be a good idea. That might be a bad idea. Um, no one's tried it. So purely on the autonomous side, um, so we we share a, a challenge um, as you know, whether you're a journalist or an analyst or an investor. Um, one of the hardest things is really, uh, especially if you don't come from a deep technical background, and even if you do, sometimes um, you know, measuring progress, like measuring, you know, this company is making progress. This company is moving towards its goals in meaningful ways. Um, maybe even. Calculate or like being able to determine sort of the relative speeds that different companies are going. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things, access and, and whatever that goes into being able to even start to do that. But I'm just curious, sort of coming from your sort of technically technically grounded approach to investing, like how do you think about that problem um, of of sort of figuring out where where these companies really are and what they're trying to do and and how much progress they're really making? Um, as an you know one of the one of the observations is that that you as a as a venture investor. You really cannot invest in um, research unless you have incredibly deep pockets, because one of the problems of research is that it's very nonlinear, right? It it the amount of dollars invested don't tell you anything about how far they are away from a solution, right? Um, you know, we've spent a hundred million dollars and it still doesn't work. Is it another hundred million dollars? Is it another billion dollars? Or will someone wake up tomorrow, take a shower, and figure out the next battery tech? My job as a seed stage investor is to try and catch stuff exactly on the cusp of going from research to development, or maybe it's it's you know after the very like it's possible, it's plausible. Okay, we can make it. We just have to you know once you get to now we just have to march downward in implementation cost, right? Um, it becomes feasible, right? Or you start to understand, you can start shipping them and you've you've chosen something where the margin exceeds the cost of production, or it's so precious that you can charge some sort of economic rent, right? So there's 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 a pattern there. I look for it, but but mostly by instinct. I don't have like, I couldn't write down a list of rules that you would go look for stuff with. And I'm not sure that the systems that we have to cause and create companies are the ones that are particularly powerful from an innovation point of view, right? I think we see lots of optimization and combination, but you know, industry does not produce in the large, especially you know, the startup world, does not produce radically more than say academia, right? And in fact, you see a large migration where people invent something in academia and then migrate to the startup world to to develop it, right? I mean, I see ten, tons of startups where it's a P, someone was a PhD somewhere, and then and then they've decided to turn it into a startup after graduating. Um, and those can be very interesting. And they don't all happen in Silicon Valley. They they sometimes they come to Silicon Valley. There's a pilgrimage here, but but you have to be sort of ready to look elsewhere. Alex, um, you've been was, so quiet. Uh, well, it's nice, which is unusual for him. It oh, is. Yeah. I think he's learning a lot. He's t- probably taking notes. I am learning a lot. I'm also trying to think of what I'm boundaried that I can can't say. <laughs> so, um, uh, earlier, you said I think that seventy percent of the pitches you hear are full of hot air or not fully baked. Is, did I hear you correctly? Well, I, 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 that's not a well-researched number. Um, I mean, one of the things that I have had to learn is that that lots of people are not telling you the whole story. And sometimes that's in good faith. 
right? You know, they, they aren't necessarily sure that they can build the thing that they claim to build, or they're, they're just trying really hard. And, and, and sometimes they're honest about that. And sometimes, you know, they're just doing it because they see a, an exit in the future. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to raise money from this guy and then I'm going to do a series A and then I'm going to do a series B and then sell it to Google. And then I'm going to buy a boat and I'm going to be on my boat. Right. And you have to sort of look at them and sort of try and see that. And it's very difficult. Right. When I talk to other investors, they say, you know, because there's a lot of feed back and forth between investors um, and a lot of people send me more technically involved stuff because I'm better able to do diligence them. Right. I, you know, I, I, Someone will send me something like saw this neat demo. I'm like, yeah, that's 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 pretty easy, right? Or or that's actually really intriguing. Let's go look at it. Um, and um, and people will say, what kind of stuff? What what of the stuff I see? What should I send you? And I say anything that's weird, right? Something that doesn't fit into a box, right? The 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 less like it is like other things, which means the more it pops out of of some framework that people use to evaluate things, the more interested I am in seeing it. Um, again, I tend to chase stuff that I find intellectually interesting. Um, I've seen plenty of stuff. I mean, I remember one that, that did something with, with online ad optimization. And I said, I'm sure you're going to do very well. I'm just too bored. And I, I, I didn't take the meeting. Right. So I I will look at things. I, I don't, I'm not really interested in a better X. I'm more interested in a company doing something that's uh, a greenfield idea rather than going head to head with a big competitor, right? Um, because my background is web tech, I see lots of stuff where um, I, you know, people tend to send me stuff that's that's sort of more more like that. Like you know, a startup's like you know, hey, we're building a, a Slack competitor, and I'm like, yeah, I, I not that interested, right? That's that's a that's going to be a a brutal slog. Um, I'm more interested in a startup that's building something that that no one has ever thought of before. Uh, but of course, that's more rare. So a lot of the stuff is, you know, there's nothing that is a completely unrelated greenfield. Everything is sort of in somebody else's space somehow. Thank you for all the investment advice that I'll never, yeah, no kidding. That I'll never get to use. Um, I I have to to go. You guys should continue this conversation if you need to, but. I think the the most important thing is to find out when SRC event is going to be happening next. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. So let's 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 do that. When when is the next SRC Self Racing Cars? Uh, uh, when is it? Where is it? Where do people go to to find out more? So Self Racing Cars uh, is on March twenty one and twenty two at Thunderhill Raceway. Uh, there is a test day on February twenty fourth. Um, one day where people can go acquire data in advance of their run uh, at the main event. Uh, and you can sign up at selfracingcars.com. Awesome. All right. And Kirsten, will you be there this year? I, um, I'm just about to open up my calendar. If, if there isn't anything going on, I will be there. I will be there. So if anyone wants to uh, hang out with me, just um, show up and be nice. And I... I still haven't been, so I pretty much have to go this year. Yeah, you do. You do. It's awesome. We'll see you there. I, I do recommend that you uh, check the hotels. 
Ah, uh, yeah, I should book now. Ah, uh, yes. All right. Well, I guess we will see at least, uh, hopefully, some of you at Self Racing Cars. And again, next time on another episode of the Atonicast. Uh, Joshua Schachter, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.